This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. I'm actually Snavely, being of sound mind and body, to hereby bequeath the following. To my wife Rose, who spent money like there was no tomorrow, I leave $100 and a calendar. To my sons, Rodney and Victor, who spent every dime I ever gave them on fancy cars and fast women, I leave $50 in dimes. And to my other friends and relatives who also never learned the value of a dollar, I leave a dollar. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's The Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and today we'll learn how being honest with yourself will help you grow your business with founder and former CEO of Panera Bread, Ron Shake. In our headlines, one investor lost over $100,000 in a trade. We'll explain their oops moment and how to prevent it in your portfolio. Plus, we'll throw out the Haven Lifeline to Stacker Martin, who wants to know if he should stop contributing to his fee-heavy 403B plan. And then I'll share some cheesy trivia. And now, two guys who are as steady as peanut butter and jelly, it's Joe and O-J-J-J-J-G. Hey there, stackers, and I am the peanut butter on this podcast, Joe Sell Hi, Average Joe Money on Twitter, which means sitting across you're from me. You're jelly and me. <laughs> I was going to say, you're the jelly roll on this podcast. Hey now. Mr. OG, how are you, man? Crunchy or creamy? Uh, you know, I go back and forth. Go-to is crunchy. You go both ways. <laughs> I do. Uh, go-to is crunchy, but there's times when I'm like, I don't want my jaw to get that Jif much work. or Skippy? Jif. Skippy is so bad, isn't it? Yeah. Or Peter Pan? Oh, oh, Peter Pan's all right. No, Jif. But, Jif or bust. Well, <laughs> Crunchy Jif or non-existent. Welcome to the Peanut Butter Valuation Podcast. I'm Joe Salci. Hi, this is OG. Speaking of peanut butter, it's almost time for peanut butter blossoms. You're getting close, aren't you? It is a holiday delicacy. Of course, everybody knows we do it with Biscoff. You do. Spring. That is the secret. And remember the number of stackers after you did that that tried it? 
And then I we think got you just need to post the recipe on the on the website. You should because we got tons of mail from people that tried it. Have a better idea. We'll post the recipe in the stacker newsletter. Sounds good. The 201. The 201. Stacking slash 201. And we'll have Kevin post the recipe there. Sounds good. Speaking of sounds good, we're talking food. I know. I'm just, I'm just <laughs> I looked at the headline. I was like, I love me some Panera. I had Panera for <laughs> breakfast today. I might have Panera for lunch. I definitely will have it for dinner. You're keeping Ron happy. Absolutely. You know, the great thing that Ron did, and we'll talk about this OG, is he blew up Panera four different times. And it was when the company was doing fairly well, but he knew they needed to continue to compete. And there are times, you know, when you're like, things are okay, but they're not great in your life. And you just got to have the bravery. You just got to have the- Just nuke it. Have the ability to go do it. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about having a mission beyond uh, financial independence. Ron was financially independent very quickly. Panera did very well, very quickly, had lots of money. Why do you keep working? after you're financially independent. We'll talk to him about that and much, much more. But before that, a headline that you sent to me. But even before that, uh, Doug, we got to talk to you about not licking the knife before you put it back in the jelly. Here, here's the deal, Doug. This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers, they're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Because then when I open up the jar to the peanut butter and there's little jelly bits in the peanut butter, yeah, it's so gross. So gross. Knock it off, Doug. Yeah, which is why I think this is our new rule. We all have smartphones. And we all know they're pretty amazing, but they can also be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. Oh, God. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right. U.S. Cellular, a company that sells phones, wants us to put down our phones and to see what we find. Learn more at uscellular.com slash built for us. You know, when you open the jelly... And there's that, it's kind of watery. Yes. And you got to stir it up. Oh, do you God, know why no. that is? Don't t- do I want to know? I'm going to tell everybody why it is. You can cover your ears if you want. Because This is what I was told. I'm not a biologist, but this is what I was told. When you lick the spoon, put it back in the jelly, you have all of the no. particles in your mouth no. that are associated with digestion. No. So it's starting to digest the jelly with your slop. No. And then you're mixing it all together. No. Putting, so don't lick this don't lick the knife, Doug. Please stop. Please oh my stop. god. I do not need your digestive juices. We got to get going before I throw up. <laughs> let's, let's get this thing moving. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show. Our stacking Benjamin's headlines. I'm glad Ron's not down here yet because he's going to report the basement to the health department after that. Pretty good idea. This headline comes to us from cryptonews.com. This is written by uh, Jimmy Aki. Jimmy writes, 
In an unexpected turn of events, a decentralized finance user accidentally lost a fortune after he swapped 131,350 in wrapped USDR for, wait for it, $0 in USDC. Transaction initially captured on DeFi and DEX aggregator OpenOcean by X, formerly Twitter user Rekt Fencer. Man, this is a, just imagine losing $130,000, OG. All because of a quick transaction that you were trying to uh, day trade yourself out of. And oops. Here's what happened. Neither you nor I spend a ton of time in crypto land, but the way that I read this piece, USDR has been pegged to the dollar. It's what's called a stable coin. So it's made to be a safe place. Well, that stable coin was unwinding very quickly. Turns out it wasn't so stable. It wasn't. No. Stablecoin was a there's no regulation, then there's nobody to get in trouble. And Weird. so the stablecoin starts going south. The user tries to get out of it as quickly as he can. It's a panic trade, right? Yep. It's a panic trade. Tries to get out of it as soon as they as quickly as they can, accidentally trades it for something that is already pegged to zero and uh trades $130,000 for nothing. Yeah. And if you keep reading, what's even more interesting in this is that there was some sort of technology bot, arbitrage bot or something that picked up on this as it was happening immediately and did the right thing. What the original user was trying to do, jumped in, solved the problem for itself, not for the user and made 110 grand for the bot at the same so, time. So there are people out there who have written programs to catch when people are doing dumb things and profit from the dumbness, if that makes sense. I have a uh, very close story to this where during the all of the crazy stuff going on with AMC and GameStop, you remember that from a couple of years ago? Sure. The, whole, the movie the whole, Dumb Money uh, out right now. Which apparently lost $100 million. So The movie lost 100? <laughs> yes. Really? How ironic. Tell me... <laughs> <laughs> tell me this moral of this story without telling me the moral of this story. But anyways, so I have a very close friend, not, it wasn't me, so it's not me, but I have a very, very, very close person in my life who was making a slaying on day trading AMC and day trading AMC options to the point where like had turned several thousand dollars into tens of thousands of dollars, 40, $50,000. Similar news comes out that, oh, oh, oh my gosh, the world's imploding, AMC's going, you know, whatever it was, jumped online pre-market to sell, but did it as a market order. So difference between a market order and a limit order. So if you're going to buy and sell stock, and especially if you're going to buy and sell stock in a panic move, you have to put a limit order there because a market order just gets filled. Whatever you're, the next available trade is, you're on the end of it. You're saying, I will take any price. I don't care. I just want out. That's what a market order is. Now, in a normal functioning market, and you're going to go sell Apple or buy Apple, and you're going to buy 100 shares, well, you know, that's trading a million shares a minute. A few you pounds know, that's either just, way. You know, you're just, you're just in there, right? But if there's a panic sale and everybody's selling, because remember, all sellers are matched up with buyers in the equity markets, right? So if there's a bunch of sellers, then the buyers are going, well, I don't know. You guys want out, I'll, I'll offer this. And right? especially if you're doing it pre-market, the computers yeah. that are matching are also, they see the trend and you could open 10, 20, 30, 40, 50% lower or higher with yeah. the first trade of the day. 
Absolutely. And so just like we tell people and, you know, we had a recession guide that we put out a year ago about, you know, how to, how to profit from a recession. And one of those, one of the strategies there was put in ridiculously low limit orders yeah. on stocks that you wish you would have bought in the last recession. You know, and you go, gosh, it would have been great to get Apple at a hundred and the market's down 20% and woe is me. Well, Hey, put a limit order to buy hundred shares of Apple at a hundred, you know, see what happened. You know, it might, you might get it. So that's what happened. So someone had literally put in buy these AMC options at one penny if available. And then this associate of mine went, I'll take any price. And the computer went, well, one penny is any price. So surely you want that. Oh my goodness. So he sold a $50,000 position for one penny of share. So he ended up with 500 bucks basically out of 50,000. Was recognized when he put the order in. Hey, I might not get 50. I might get 48. I might get 47. I might get 40. I don't care. I'm out. But how about $40? 500. (laughs) Right. Because it was a market order pre-market. And what's crazy is that at the end of that day, AMC finished up. So if he like literally would have forgotten about it, not read about it, not paid any attention, it would have been okay. But because all the panic stuff and the volatility in that moment got wrapped up in it and uh, took 50 grand and turned into 500. What's the lesson here? Is it that, I mean, obviously the day trading thing is a, is the obvious lesson, but when I'm placing my trade, do I do the Amazon thing? Like when I think I might want to buy the stupid thing, I put it in my cart overnight and think about it first, and then I press the button? Do, do I, you know, when you talked about limit orders, do I put limit orders out there? Like what's my takeaway from this? I mean, there's a lot of different strategies for individual stock positions. You know, first and foremost, if you're buying something that doesn't fit in your financial plan for a long period of time. Warren Buffett's famously quoted by saying, you should be allowed to own 20 stocks your entire life. So be very judicious in which 20 you feel like buying to own your entire life. And so if you're evaluating your you know, financial plan and you're saying to, to fulfill my plan, I need to own stock. I'm just going to day trade my way. You know, like if that's not one of the stocks you want to own for 20 years, I, I would question why you even want to get it in the first place. If this is a fun hobby and you're just day trading and you're like betting on football or whatever your deal is, you know, that's a different thing. You're you're saying I'm I'm okay with losing all of this. So firstly, it kind of starts there from an asset allocation standpoint, but but even if you're going to own individual stocks, every company now, every custodian has the ability to put limit orders or trailing limit orders or trailing stop limit orders, all these different protections so that you can say, "Hey, I want to make sure that if this turns sideways, if this position turns sideways in a hurry, and I'm not literally sitting by my computer when it happens, there's a mechanism and a technology that will get me out of here, basically. I'm not going to get to get the price. I'm not going to pick the price, but it's going to, you know, it might not make me whole, but I'm going to have some capital left over on this deal. And those are the trailing stop limit orders is what you're talking about there. If you're just out there buying stock, it's a Tuesday and you're buying it, I don't think you have anything to worry about. If you're going, oh my gosh, I need to you know, I need to watch this every second because I'm worried about the next tick that comes across the news. I'm wondering why you're owning the thing to begin with. Yeah. And the same thing is true with any of these esoteric investment pools, crypto or individual penny stocks or like all these things. I have a friend of mine that was working at a brokerage house, like old school stockbroker. And this guy was making a killing on penny stocks in one particular stock in particular. He was just trading it every day and was making tons of money. And then he bought, he's like, oh, you know, he kept doubling down basically and then bought a big position. And then the next day he goes, hey, I want to sell it and make this money. They're like, yeah, you can't. You own 10% of the company. Oh my. <laughs> Wait, what? Yeah. yeah, you have accumulated so much 
that you have now, now you are an insider. Now the rules have you are changed. Now, you are required by the SEC to file disclosure documents in order to Make sell. He's like, well, no, that, that blows up the whole plan. I got to sell it right now to get my, yeah, sorry, you're a 10%. Wow. Wow. You know, it's just, it's like, <laughs> it's like, surprise, you know, but let's say stupid games win stupid prizes, I suppose. So you just got to be careful. I was sitting watching football the other day. Kurt Warner's on TV, old school quarterback, won a couple of Super Bowls for the St. Louis Rams. He was talking about betting on football because that's all the rage these days. And, you know, he's got the rules, right? His rules of the game by Kurt Warner, right? One of the rules is you don't bet more than you can lose. And so if you're going to go play the penny stock game, you're going to play the day trading game, you're going to go buy options because you saw it on Reddit and you want to do it, man, have fun. Do your thing. Don't, don't make it part of your financial plan because that's not going to be a success story probably. But if that's what keeps you excited and, you know, whatever, have fun. But have it out and don't make it such a big portion of your day or of your money that it's so stressful if you if you lose it. Well, and I think that's a, I mean, to me, that's the biggest takeaway of all is keep the garden weeded. Like, I can't tell you the number of times when I would meet with people and they go, well, I'll sell this, but after it goes up to X, you know, after it reaches X point. And I'm like, we got to accept the dollar the way it is today. And it doesn't fit today. If it doesn't fit today, something else could go up and this will continue to go down. I'm thinking about one family that had like 80% of their portfolio in Ford stock. Of course, I'm in Detroit. So they got yeah. all their money in Ford's never goes down. Yeah, they got all their money in Ford. Well, and here's the deal, OG. The reason they met with me was because it had gone down. And so I put this whole plan together for them. And the very first move, obviously, is we got to diversify to make sure that you get some type of retirement, whether it's Ford or any single company, it's not as predictable as an index will be. We need something more predictable. So I had this strategy knowing they were nervous about getting out too. I had it in three stages. Should have been all at once. I wasn't worried about the market. Yeah. The strategy is worried about them. So I'm like, we're going to sell a third now, a third later, third, whatever. Dude wouldn't do it. And he said, I will only do it. If the, the stock's trading at 12. He said, I'll do it when it goes back up to 25. Of course, the stock went down to eight. And two, eventually. And to two. And by the way, <laughs> yeah. I ended up not working with them. There was nothing we could do. Yeah. There was there was zero to do. Well, and this is an important lesson, I think, for young people. And we see this a lot, and it seems like it's impossible to happen to you. So I'm going to tell this in a parable, but most people say, well, that'll never happen to me. If you're a young person and you're getting some, and I mean young, you know, you're early in your career, 25, 35, whatever, and you're getting some of your compensation in restricted shares, you're getting some of your compensation in non-qualified options, incentive options, whatever. And you do not have a plan for liquidating those positions as they become in the money or when the tax burden is exactly right or whatever. If, you've, if you haven't mapped that out, you're going to end up like that person that has 80% of their net worth in one stock. And you go, well, that'll never happen to me. It could, because I'm assuming you're working at a company that you really like that makes good stuff that you've got a lot of hope and optimism in. And so all those companies, all those tech companies, all those, all those companies that are paying you based on outcomes, if they do well and you haven't built a plan for how I'm going to sell it, you know, keep this percentage of my portfolio a reasonable percentage, you'll wake up one day and go, oh, crap, I've got 80% of my net worth in one stock and it's doing amazing. And so now to get out of it, it's going to cost oh. me hundreds of thousands of dollars to get out. So now I don't want to because, because you know, and then you get this, but it's doing really good. So maybe I don't want, and it explodes, huge percentage of your net worth, huge net worth. And then one thing can cause that whole, you know, house of cards to come down. So 
if you're looking at your compensation, you get restricted shares, non-qualified options, you know, incentive options. You, you've got an ESPP through work. You got 401k matching. You've got all these opportunities to own your company's stock. Believe in your company. That's great. But also make sure you've got a way to keep that percentage of your net worth fairly constant over time. Otherwise, time will go by. It'll be 20 years and you'll be calling Joe going, I got 80% of my money in Ford. Well, which by the way, you'll still continue to have more and more of the stock. People are like, well, I want to own more than, you know, a thousand dollars in my company or two that, well, if you've got a million dollars and you decide that 10% is your number, you get a hundred thousand dollars in a single company. Yeah. And when you're 50 and you're making three fifty a year in compensation and your bonuses, you know what I mean? Like you think about it today, you're 27 making hundred grand and you get a 5% bonus. When you're 55 and you're making 450, most of your comp is bonus. You know, you're getting two, three hundred thousand dollars a year in, in stock compensation. Like it scales also to your point. We will dive into this more in our newsletter. The 201 comes out every Tuesday and Thursday, right the day after this show. And what's cool is even if you happen to, we don't want you to miss an episode, of course. But if you do miss an episode, the 201 is made so that you can still pick up a lot of great tips while you're on the road, and then you can circle back and listen to the show later. StackingBenjamins.com slash 201, always free, comes out the day after our Monday, Wednesday episodes. Coming up next, Ron Shake is the guy behind this little company known as Panera. I've had a bread bowl or two, don't know about UOG. Also another company, Albon Pen, which I, I probably slaughtered uh, the pronunciation of that, but I think we've all seen- Sure, you nailed it. <laughs> we've all seen those. He is out of those companies with a massive sale that he did back in 2017. Now he has some new ideas in uh, fast casual food, Kava and a few others. We're going to talk to him about lessons he learned while developing Panera. But before that, Doug, I think you've got some trivia for us. There's stackers. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. I've been working on a recipe book for Joe's mom, you know, because I like to help. So far, I printed a dozen recipes I found online of things I'd like her to make for me. At the top of the list, I got uh, baked Alaska. Uh, there's some uh, van. There's a beef Wellington. And, you know, a few different types of souffle. She's going to be so happy. I, I got all my favorites in one place for her, so she doesn't have to ever guess. I decided to not include any sandwiches, though, since, you know, that's my specialty. If you got hot dogs, I know four sandwich recipes by heart. That includes the one I just made up this morning. Bacon, egg, and cheese with peanut butter and jelly. With, with the peanut butter. It was so good. I don't know if I should even be listing all the ingredients on here. You might be able to figure out how to make it. According to legend, sandwiches are named after the 18th century British nobleman John Montague, the fourth Earl of Sandwich. Montague was such a devoted gambler that he had his valet put salted beef. No, I said it right. That's how they say it in England. Valet. He put salted beef between two pieces of bread so he could eat dinner at the cribbage table without having to interrupt a game. I actually created my own on-the-go food item. What you do is you slice a banana down the side and you stuff it with trail mix. That way, you don't have to carry the nuts separately. I'm going to start calling it the hot dug. The hot, the hot dug. Hot dug. Today's trivia question is, what's the most popular sandwich in the U.S.? I'll be back right after I make sure Joe's mom has a pasta maker. Hey, Staggers, it's Military Appreciation Month. You know what that means. We are recognizing all of our stackers in the audience. 
My good friend Nords, Doug Nordman, who uh, some of you may know, he is a writer in personal finance. He's a guy I'd like to do a shout out to. He is such a giving member of the FIRE community, the Financial Independence Retire Early community. Uh, Nords will do anything for you. It's just, just, I think some of that comes from his time on a submarine, like my nephew Colin, who's on a submarine right now, and all the work that uh, he did there. Just a super giving member of the community. And you know what? Uh, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate their members who go above and beyond, not this month, but every month. Navy Federal offers members only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Here's one of their offers in honor of Military Appreciation Month. Join and get $50 when you open a credit card. Of course, you want them to have your whole debt strategy planned out, don't you? Don't just go open a credit card willy-nilly, as mom says. Uh, here's a disclaimer. You got to join, open your membership savings account between May 1st and May 31st. So get on it stackers. Annual percentage yield is a 0.25% for membership savings account, $5 minimum balance to open, maintain your membership savings account to obtain the bonus. Visit navyfederal.org for full terms and conditions. That's just one of the things they offer 24 seven help for their us based service members. They have resources all over the place. Head to Navy federal org for full terms, conditions, and other offers. Navy and Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender. Well, if you're new to Stacking Benjamins, you may not know that I've tried out a lot of personal finance apps. I like to be a guinea pig and try out all these things. So I know what I'm talking about when it comes to uh, what's helpful and what isn't helpful. And the app that I've used the longest has been Monarch Money. And it's because Cheryl and I, my spouse, were able to collaborate together we can work on our goals together and our budget and our goals are right next to each other on the app. It is clearly the next generation of personal finance apps. So what is it? Monarch is the top rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now, because you're a stacker, you'll get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash benjamins. I love the fact that we get to collaborate. I love the fact that it's customizable. And I also love that it's this ad-free privacy you can trust. They never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying out Monarch myself, I totally get why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, because you're a stacker, you're going to get an extended 30-day free trial to try it out like I try out many different apps. And this one was sticky for me because... Well, you'll see when you try out the 30-day free trial. Go to monarchmoney.com slash Benjamins. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y.com slash Benjamins for your extended 30-day free trial. Hey there, stackers. I'm Sandwich Chef and recipe book publisher, Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. I tried the hot dog during the break, and unfortunately, turns out it's harder than you think to eat trail mix out of a sideways banana that's still in the peel. It's very complicated. Today's trivia question is, what's the most popular sandwich in the U.S.? The answer, a cheese sandwich. Grilled or cold, Americans can't get enough of cheese between two pieces of bread. I mean, you got your favorite flavored fat in there, you got your starches, what could go wrong? According to one stacker, that's borderline child abuse though. And now, here to help you identify what matters most while building your business, it's founder and former CEO of Panera Bread, Ron Shake. I'm super happy you're here with us, Ron. It's good to be in mom's basement here, Joe. I got to start here. You begin this topic 
this project by writing that when you retired, what you were looking forward to when you were first going to retire, what, in 2010, 2012, that you were looking forward to writing a book about the lessons you learned building Panera. And then you say, this is not that project, which by the way, when I laugh out loud at the first line of a book, I know it's going to be a nice ride from then. What did you mean by that, that this is not that project? Well, I sold the book in 2011. I started to write it, big New York publisher. And I ended up going back to Panera for the fourth time. I went back to do another transformation of Panera. I'm knee deep in it, working 90 hours a week. And I'm working on this book at 4 a.m. And I said, Ron, this is sheer idiocy. You can't be doing this. Let's cut it. And I basically said, I will give the publisher back their money. Um, Always hard. Gave them back their money and said, I will write this book when I get done Panera. And in 2017, I sold it in the biggest U.S. restaurant deal ever done, among the highest multiples ever done. And I began doing a lot of speaking on the pervasive short-termism in our capital markets. And I realized this was still a bucket list item. I wanted to do it. And I wanted it for your listeners. I wanted it for those folks out there that are starting out, that are trying to build something in their lives, that are trying to figure out how to do it. And this book is different than so many of them. So many of this genre starts with a a thesis, I did wonderfully, I'm wonderful, you just have to be like me. It's sheer nonsense. (laughs) This is a This is hard work. (laughs) There's a lot of trade-offs in it, and I want to talk to your audience about it, and I want this book to serve them in understanding what they're really getting into and how to go forward and how to do it and how to build a life that not only has economic value to it, but a life that actually has values and leads to their own sense of self-respect. Well, I want to ask you some questions about the early days from some of the early chapters of the book, what I read, so people can get a sense of what you're talking about, about how hard this is and how much work you have to put in it. But I got a question, you know, what you just said, you said you went back four times. I was just reading yesterday a piece talking about Bob Iger, of course, uh, the Disney chairman who just went back to Disney and he said, Disney's in worse shape than he thought it was. And he's exhausted. Ron, it's clear you had plenty of money. You were doing just fine. Why does a guy who already has enough security for himself go back to take part again? Because none of this is about just simply financial security. Once you get over a certain point, it's not going to change your life. What it's about is self-respect. And I loved Panera. I loved the people there. And what I could see and feel was the ability to make a difference. And what was clear to me, the way I went back in 2010, I was the executive chairman. I was still doing some of the customer-facing stuff. And, and, and again, as I said, I was doing a lot of public speaking. And Joe, I came back from looking at an acquisition one weekend, and I sat at a computer, and I wrote a document, how I would screw with Panera if I weren't part of Panera. <laughs> Literally, how would I compete with Panera? And I, I basically, at that point, called for digital access, and I called for clean food, and I called for omnichannel. And I called for loyalty. And these were things that were not in the restaurant industry at that point. And the guy who took over from me, my very dear friend, a guy named Bill Morton, Bill says to me, Ron, will you go work on it? And I love nothing more than figuring things out. And I said, yeah, I'll go work on it. And and remember, I'm executive chairman. And within nine months, I'm working on this thing 80 hours a week. And I'm loving it because I'm building the next iteration of what Panera could be for its guests. I'm actually putting it in place. One thing led to another. Bill couldn't travel for some personal reasons. We ended up swapping jobs. He became executive vice chairman. I came back yet again as, as CEO, and we put that in place. And between 2011 and 2017, 
we affected the largest transformation, I think, among any, any large-scale restaurant company that occurred. And Joe, if I may say it, I say this to your readers, your listeners, it sucked. It was horrible. It's difficult. Change is difficult. And the question is how you think about that and how you manage it. Because the core of all of this, which goes to your question, is how do you leave it with a sense of your own self-respect? That you walk away when you're done, you say, I did something, I did it well, I did something that I can respect. Let's go back a few years because you really drive the point that you just said home very early in this project. It's 1998, Ron, and your dad has moved into your apartment in uh, Cambridge, Massachusetts. Can we talk about that? Why was your dad moving into your apartment? Yeah, my dad had been diagnosed with lung cancer and we wanted to get him to Dana-Farber here in Boston where he could get into clinical trials that could potentially save his life. And he was here off and on over a number of years but he actually ended up living the last nine or 10 months of his life in my apartment. And I watched him go through this process. And what I saw was that each of us, if we have a chronic illness or if we go through that kind of process, we step back and we, we actually review our lives. And it became clear to me that there is a judgment day. I cannot promise you it's up there. That's a personal spiritual decision. I can tell you there's a judgment day if you have that opportunity. And I watched him reflect on his life. I watched my mother reflect on her life. And it was very clear to me that at least one of them felt better about the decisions they made than the other. And from a personal perspective, I wanted to go through the same process, but I wanted to make sure I wasn't doing it in the ninth inning with two outs. I wanted to do it in the seventh inning, the fifth inning, the third inning. And I began a process you know, decades ago of sitting down every Christmas and asking myself a question, where do I want to be with my life? in terms of my core relationships, my relationship with my health, my relationship with my family and, and the people that I love, my relationship with my work and, and my financial capabilities and doing work that was meaningful to me, and then ultimately my spiritual life. And I began to write a five-year vision of where I wanted to be. And then I began to take that and break it down into what I needed to get done this year and what were the specific projects that underlined the things that I needed to get done this year. And then I began to review that every quarter. Is this the thing that, that you describe as, you call it a pre-mortem? Yeah, like the time to do your, your post-mortem is not when you're at your funeral. It's not post. Yeah, the time is to figure out what you're going to respect, my friend. And if you don't figure it out, right, you're going to lead a life where you're in reaction. And what we want to be is proactive. We want to make some choices. Now, the truth is that the mantra of the book and my own mantra is tell yourself the truth, confront the 800 pound gorillas, what's really true, know what matters, know what few things really matter and then get them done. And I, I can only tell you whether you're running a business or you're thinking about your life because they're very similar. If you're doing that, you need to understand what few things are going to matter. You know, we often talk about presidents of the United States and you think about how they spend their lives and what they do. And all the meetings they attend, but generally they're known for one or two or three things. You go back to to Bush, and it was it was nine eleven. You can go to Obama; it was Obamacare. You can go to Trump, and maybe it was COVID in January sixth. You can go to Biden; maybe it'll be Afghanistan. It's these these few big things that matter, and understanding what they are for you, what you're going to respect when you get down the road is the key. By the way, same in running any enterprise. If you're just reacting to today, you're going to actually get yourself in trouble. And so that's one of the things that we talk about. Here's something else we talk about, Joe, means, ends, and byproducts. And here's the reality. We've gotten lost in corporate America 
on byproducts is if we can create the byproduct. Let me tell you by way of a story. I have a friend who's a type one diabetic. His goal in life is to stay alive as long as you and me, but he can't make it happen. It's a byproduct. Like happiness is a byproduct. So what's his end? His end is to keep his blood sugar between 80 and 180. If he keeps his blood sugar between 80 and 180, the byproduct is life. His means diet, exercise, and insulin control. To your listeners, it's the same thing. You want to have financial rewards. You want to build a business of quality. You want to have that. You can't make it happen. Right? It's a byproduct. What's it a byproduct of? Building a better mousetrap. Building a better competitive alternative. Better serving your target guests. When you do that, the byproduct is the financial rewards and the success. That was, I think, going to be a big aha for a lot of people because you write that profit is not the end. Profit is the byproduct, which, by the way, I was so glad to hear you say because I had a business partner once and I was trying to explain what you're saying here much less eloquently than you did just now, Ron. And she kept accusing me of not wanting to make money. Well, but listen, I'm long-term greedy, not short-term stupid. And you want to be short-term stupid, you react and you try to squeeze. You want to be long-term greedy? You understand who your target customer is and you deliver better for them than anybody else. You do that, you're going to build a sustaining, powerful business and you're ultimately going to have far more financial rewards. This idea of having a competitive product was actually where you started. Let's talk about your first business, which I think was a business you created in college. You're hanging out at a I don't know, like it sounds like almost a 7-Eleven and the, the dude gets mad at you that's working behind the cash register. I'm mad at me. They accused me of shoplifting, Joe. I didn't well, look at it. you, Ron. Look at you. I, know. I, anyway, I ended up on the board of that company later. Did you? <laughs> yes. No baloney. <laughs> so, so let's talk about, tell us that story about how you created the first business. Well, you know, I didn't, wasn't interested in business. I was probably on my way to law school. I was going to, I wanted to change the world. I wanted to make a difference in the world. And I was the treasurer of the student body at a place called Clark University in Worcester, Massachusetts. And I was tossed out of this local convenience store. And I came back to campus and said, the heck with these guys. Let's create our own nonprofit convenience store. We don't need them. They just hassle us. And I, this treasurer was able to raise $60,000 in capital, basically a tax on the student body. And then we had to figure out who was going to build this place and who was going to run it. And ultimately, I volunteered to do it. I spent the summer ripping out a... a, a Faculty wives thrift store. That was what they gave us. <laughs> I, I, I ripped it out. The administration didn't support it. And I ran this store. And as a kid in college, it's just you know almost 50 years ago, but as a kid in college, to be honest with you, I couldn't dance. I couldn't sing. But this was the closest I came to live performance art. I loved it. I loved the creative process. I loved serving people. I loved figuring it out. And it opened up a whole world for me. And the irony of it is it's sort of the problem in my life. We started making a lot of money. It's supposed to be nonprofit. So we lower the prices. What happens? We make more money. We lower the prices. <laughs> At the end of the year, we had about $60,000 in profit. This is where the administration gets interested. Oh, isn't that weird? All of a sudden, they're excited about it. Yeah. I wanted to throw a great Grateful Dead concert on the, on the Village Green as a way to give the money back to the students. But we ended up... Um, shall we say, in the, in, the, in the scholarship fund. That's very nice of you. Yes, uh, that was the way it came down. And that store lasted 30 years. How did you, in those early days, though, get product? Because you're not Walmart. I mean, you're not able to, even as a student, I can't imagine how you get wholesale pricing to go and resell stuff. We didn't. Listen, we went to the, the local deep discount uh, supermarket at about five in the morning. You know, we took seven or eight carts, shopping carts, 
of food. And then we went back to the store and we re-merchandised it. But here's my point to your readers. My stories are just fun. The reality is the joy in any of this is figuring it out, right? How do you get it done? It can get done. And when you're small, you have an advantage. The reality is you can move quickly. Your executive committee can meet on the way into work and resolve it by the time you get there. It's not all that complicated. The power you have when you can be flexible and move is extraordinary. But the key is to know what you're focused on. You know, the key is to know what matters. What are you trying to get done for whom? In order to do that, part of what we talk about is telling the truth, the 800-pound gorillas, telling yourself the truth, telling the people you work with the truth, knowing what matters, and then most importantly, getting it done. Too often in corporate America, we talk about what we're going to do and we don't get it done. And so this is central to the entrepreneurial experience. And Joe, before we go forward, I want to tell you listeners just something else, share with them something else. I think we as entrepreneurs, and I think there are many who might be listening, are often misunderstood. People think of entrepreneurs as risk takers. That's not an entrepreneur. Entrepreneurs are opportunists. We see opportunities that other people don't. It's that simple. And then we are committed to protecting that opportunity, that ability to meet that need in a way that other people don't. And what I would say to you is if you want to build an entrepreneurial life, if you want to build any activity, it's to start and figure out with empathy, what is that customer need? Where can I make a difference that other people don't? How can I do it differently? How can I be that much better than the next guy? You know, there's a great story, Joe. I don't know if you ever heard it about two guys out hunting. And all of a sudden, you know, a grizzly bear jumps into their tent. Both these guys uh, throw on their pants. And one guy looks at the other and says, why are you throwing on your pants, Joe? You, you know, why are you doing that? And the other guy looks back and says, well, you know, I, I, I have to simply outrun you. And if I outrun you, I will succeed. You've got to figure out what it is that you can do in a differentiated way that's better. And when you do that, you actually have a business model. Well, it makes it so much fun too, because you're not trying to just do the thing. Like how many entrepreneurs out there do you see during your career that are just doing the exact same thing somebody else did? It's boring. It's derivative. The customer can see right through that. It adds no value. Right. Right. right? I look at the whole central thesis for us of value creation is being a better competitive alternative. That's our end. In every business I'm in, and you may know, not only did we create Obon Pen and Panera, I've now been chairman of Kava, which we just took public. We have something else called Tate, Life Alive. Some of you may know we're in BJ's restaurants. I essentially sold Panera, took my own money, some of it, and have now built a billion dollar plus portfolio of, of businesses that our whole central theme in, in Act 3 is figuring out what are the niches that are going to matter, discovering today what's going to matter tomorrow, what are the niches that are going to matter in the restaurant industry in the next five to 10 years, such that they have tailwinds behind them, and then helping build the dominant brand in each of these niches. That's literally what we did with Kava, and that's literally what we did with Panera, what we did with Obon Pen, and we're doing with a range of other businesses. It's there to be had if you know how, how, how to be differentiated and you know where your competitive advantage comes from. I wanted to get back to that idea of knowing what's important because there was a time early in your life, you thought you were going into politics, right? So you think you're going into politics. You also find out you're very good at the world of business. Obviously, we got a lot of listeners that are sitting on a fence like that, where they got these two competing things that they think they might want to do. How'd you decide to go business versus enter the political arena? You don't decide. 
you try. And one of the things that I discovered is no matter what road you take, they're mostly all going to lead you to the same place. When I did business, I always brought a political sense to it. To me, a business is simply a little society you get to control. Tax policy is compensation. You know, customer satisfaction, it's all part of it. On the other hand, when I did politics, I was always a strategist and I was always trying to figure it out. To me, a business, frankly, is a campaign that never ends. And a campaign is a business that has one day of judgment, but very similar kinds of skills. Understand what matters. And to me, understanding what matters is to understand what matters to your target customer. If you can figure that out and you can listen to them with empathy, you can create opportunities. You can create opportunities as an entrepreneur. You can create opportunities as a CEO of a, of a multi-billion dollar, 100,000 plus employee organization. I think what's cool is too, Ron, you're creating opportunities for your customer to do business with you. Yes. But here's the key. You know, we use all these fancy MBA terms, you know, like competitive advantage and differentiation. Here's it in the most simple terms. Are some people going to walk past your competitors and choose you, right? If you can't get that to happen, my industry, at least, the restaurant industry is dirt farming. It's a crummy business in which you get your market share and there's not enough margin and you don't do particularly well. You've got to be the best alternative for some people. You better figure out who that target customer is and you better deliver it to them. Let's talk about that in terms of the early days because you're not just talking about these high-level ideas, Ron. This is this is your development. You started off with a cookie company, right? I started out with a 400-square-foot store, and I right. built four or 5,000 restaurants since then. Let's talk about step one, because every step I feel like is a little bit of lather, rinse, repeat, because you're sitting there with cookies. You see people at the start of the day walking by the front, the front of your store, and you're like, how do I get those people in? Tell me about the early days of the cookie company and then transitioning into breakfast. Yeah, Joe, let's step back, right? People often talk about my life and my legacy as the financial results. You know, I ran a public company for 27 years, longer than Cal Ripken played baseball. And what people talk about is that company, Panera, delivered the best returns in the restaurant industry over two decades, twice Starbucks, four times Chipotle, 25% returns. Somebody told me we actually beat Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway. That's what people say. But to me, as we were talking, that's a byproduct. What I'm most proud of is not that. What I'm most proud of is I transformed my company four different times over the course of 37 years. Basically, every eight to nine years, I led a transformation. When I started, I basically had a cookie store. I merged it with a French bakery, three French bakeries. I was working on the counter and it quickly became clear to me that people were, were buying French baked goods, croissant and bread, and using that for a sandwich. And we quickly changed our business from being in the baked good business to being in the sandwich business. Powerful. Literally, sliced Literally. bread changed everything. Yeah. We went from being a broken down French bakery to being one of the hottest concepts in the late 80s, au bon pen. And we were, you know, everybody wanted one. And it led to us going public in 1991. Right? But that was a byproduct, right? That came as a result of figuring out the business, the consumer, what they really wanted. They wanted a sandwich and the bakery was simply an ingredient into it. The second major transformation for me occurred in the 90s. And it was clear to me there were huge trends happening in our consumer society. And I spent two years on the road trying to listen with empathy to guests. And what I discovered is one out of three consumers walked into fast food and held their noses. And yet the only alternatives at that time were fine dining 
and fast food. And people wanted something more. They wanted something better. And I began to imagine if we could deliver real food, environments that engage them, people that care, that we could deliver for our guests an elevated experience, something that they felt respected them, something that that essentially elevated their their sense of self-esteem. I didn't realize it at the time, but that became, that ideology, that understanding, that visibility we saw became what is the fast casual industry segment of the restaurant industry, which is now $100 billion. And we came away from that experience understanding there was a powerful and deep trend. I speak a lot more about this in the book. And I end up using Panera. St. Louis Bread Company was what it was first called. Later, we renamed it Panera. We ended up using Panera, and it became the poster child for fast casual. But it was that that learning that was that I'm so proud of, and then how we turned Panera into the poster child. The third major transformation occurred at the end of 99, 98, 99. And again, we all get these moments where you're kind of down. I was down. I was running a large public company. I had four different divisions, Obon Pen, Obon Pen International. I had a manufacturing division and this thing called Panera. And I could see Panera had the potential to be nationally dominant. But for every hundred guys that talk about being nationally dominant, Joe, one ever makes it. It's so hard. And I was kind of bumming. And I said, we're going to screw this thing up. It's a gem. I know it. I can feel it. And I'll never forget, I was in the Caribbean. A friend looked at me and said, Ron, what would you do if Panera owned Obon Pen, not Obon Pen owned Panera. And I hadn't thought about it that way. It was a change in paradigm. It totally felt to me the same as when Dayton Hudson said, you know what? Target is really where we're at. It, it, it was the same flip like, oh, we got this little company Target here. We got Dayton Hudson, but Target is really who we should be. It's the gem and understanding what the gem is, is what matter. And I made the decision. I left that. And I said, you know, we got to protect this thing at all costs. It needs all the financial resources we have. It needs the best human capital we have. And if I had any strength, I'd go down there and make it happen as CEO. And over the next year and a half, I sold every other business we had. It was horrible. It was blood in the streets. Obon Penn was my first son. I loved it. I loved the people. At that point, you could have bought our stock at a penny on the dollar. People say to me all the time, Rob, why didn't you tell me? I look at them and go, I was telling you. Right? Nobody wanted to listen for the year. Right. You got to believe, right? And that allowed us to build what became a 2,000 plus restaurant chain. And then quite frankly, as I, I may have mentioned to you, I retired in 2009 to, to work on reducing the hyper-partisanship and the polarization in our civic society, helped form a group called No Labels. But I still was the executive chairman of Panera. And I ended up coming back from a trip, looking at some competitors and writing a vision for how I would compete with Panera if I weren't part of Panera. It made me think of the old days. I think it was Jack Welch who said, change before you have to. No, I think Jack Welch said, control your destiny. Or, or somebody else will. Right. Or somebody will control it for you. Yeah. Right. Which is the same as saying, you do it to yourself. Yeah. Yeah. You had to blow up Panera. I Absolutely. I Listen, I had to sell my first child, Obon Pen. I had to blow up Panera. I had to take on the sacred cows. And I had to do it in which, in, at a time when you're going through transition, we don't talk about this, but I want to talk about it in the book. Right? I talked about the difficulty and pain of the process. From 2011 to 2017, I had activist investors who came and said, you know, we can short, shortcut this. I had people that, that, that lost faith, that quit. It's horrible. These are guys that I had known for years, you know, and one of them quit on two weeks notice. You know, and there are these moments where you really almost wonder. I can remember my daughter was up in Manchester 
uh, Massachusetts. I lived in Boston. My family was up there. It was a tough day. My CFO had quit. And I was just beaten up and I wanted to just go to bed. And my daughter calls and says, Dad, will you drive an hour and come up here and put me to sleep? And my first reaction was, Emma, I can't do it. And then I called her back in 10 minutes and said, I'm coming. And I got in bed with her and she looked at me and said, Dad, I really had a tough day. I had a horrible day. And I looked at her and said, you know, Emma, the beauty of life is that you're going to go to sleep tonight. You're going to wake up tomorrow. The sun's going to be shining and you get a whole new day and a whole new approach. You needed that message yourself. That was who it was for. And the reality is when you're going through tough times, it's to remember that. It's to keep that in your mind's eye, what, what it is that you're trying to do, what you're going to respect. And as you go through transition, I, you know, Vince Lombardi once said he never lost a game. He ran out of time. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's often the worst fear. And, and how do you deal with that? I can tell you, Joe, I had $5 billion of investors that were betting on me that I was, you know, I had 125,000 employees that their mortgages and their lives and their kids' education were dependent on us. And you don't know yet if it's the right decision, but you better have made the right calls and taken that organization the right way, which gets us to this principle of getting it done, actually knowing what matters and getting it done. Well, and I wanted to end with a question on that topic. Clearly, the organizations that you built you know, currently with Kava and your current portfolio, with Panera, with Oban Pan, with the cookie company, even with that first, a lot of what you've done is about people and about having an organization that supports the people that support the organization. How do you let somebody go when it clearly isn't right for them? Because there's people listening to this that are leading people that you just know, Ron, that it's not the right fit and it's going to be better for you and them for them to go someplace else. Yeah. You know, Joe, I've had thousands of letters I've gotten over the years from people that I fired who said to me, thank you. I learned more while I was working with you and I learned more about myself when I was fired. And the reality is, I have almost never had a problem in firing people. Personally, it kills me because I love these people. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's really true. But if I tell the truth, people get it and people understand. So I truly believe one of the most important lessons for me in looking back is I try too hard to do people's jobs for them, to make it work for them, to get them through what they were going through. And I had that capability, but that wasn't enough. And I can, I can remember in so many ways how often people would say to me, thank you for telling the truth. Thank you for actually telling it the way it is. Now, they didn't always tell it to me when I fired them, but they certainly right. did. <laughs> they had to later. see the truth later, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, because I think we all know. But all I'm saying to you is one of the growth points for me as a, as a leader, and I hope for many of your listeners, is to recognize that you don't own somebody else's work. They own their work. You need to be an honest broker. You need to tell them the truth. You need to be clear with them. And you need to come at that with a heart, not a heart to protect them, but a heart to make sure that they understand with clarity what is true and what isn't. Last question, Ron. How has COVID changed things? You know, ironically, I, I, my belief generally is COVID, like so many things, has not in a material way changed things. Yeah, we have a little more delivery. But the truth of the matter is, in my industry, the food industry, consumer businesses, restaurant industry is the second oldest profession. You know, it's, it, it ain't going away. And people want what they always have wanted, which is a place of community, a place to gather, a place to break bread together, to enjoy. And they want the best food they can get access to. It hasn't changed. It won't change. I don't think we're going to be talking about COVID, maybe with the exception of 
idiosyncratic things like Zoom and its effect on offices, I don't think you're going to see dramatic changes in our consumer society. The book is Know What Matters, Lessons from a Lifetime of Transformations. We barely touched on stuff at the beginning of the book. There's so much here. There's so many lessons. But more than anything, Ron, I got from it this idea of leading with your North Star and then the building that comes from that, the fallout that comes from that. Man, the times when you were a public company, we'll let people read that on their own. And just the, the, the lessons from being public pit in my stomach sometimes. You know, Joe, if I could say this to you as we conclude, there really is no legacy. Right? This is all going to turn to dust, all these businesses, all of this. What matters is your self-respect and what matters are your relationships. And focusing on those, your relationships with your guests, focusing on your relationship with your team members and doing things that three years from now, five years from now, seven years from now, you can look back and say, I can respect that. That's what it's all about, my friend. Hey, I'm Mr. Wow. And I'm Mrs. Wow from Waffles on Wednesday. And when we're not eating waffles, we're stacking Benjamins. Big thanks to Ron for hanging out. You could hear the excitement, OG, in Ron's voice. And this idea we talk about a lot when you retire of having a purpose. Ron comes out of retirement again and again. And it's not because he doesn't have enough money. It's because he's got this purpose. His purpose clearly is serving these people, his idea of what fast casual should be. I mean, you see it with Howard Schultz at Starbucks who came out of retirement. Heck, you know, we talked about Bob Iger coming back. I think Iger might be a different situation at Disney. I think that was more of a dumpster fire and he, he, he kind of had to come back. But I do think this idea of purpose after you're financially secure is a super important thing. I mean, otherwise, what are you going to do? I mean, you spent your entire life being, you know, motivated and fascinated by this thing. And then all of a sudden you're going to go like, now I'm, now I'm going to sit on my, sit on my couch all day. Yeah, and all these studies of people that just atrophy yeah. because, you know, they said, hey, I'm going to travel and play golf. And that's about as much as they think about their retirement goal. It's got to be deeper than mm-hmm. that. I agree. Got to be. Hey, let's throw out the Haven Lifeline and tackle some of life's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency, OG, they put what you value first. Uh, what do I value first? Today is, oh, the exciting news that my in-laws are coming for two weeks. And a half. You are thrilled. I am beyond thrilled. Oh, look, busy, busy, busy. Got to go on a trip. Oh, it's so weird. It's just it's such inconvenient timing. God. Avoiding your in-laws is Love why they made by there, guys. Quality turf. important thing that I need to do. <laughs> you can focus on scheduling lots of time away because your in-laws are in town. And that's why they made buying quality term life insurance actually simple. You go to stackingbenjamins.com slash havenlife now for a free quote. By the way, apply for the insurance before you know your in-laws are coming because you want that blood pressure to be good. You don't want it elevated. You want to make sure that you haven't uh, begun drinking excessively, knowing that they're coming. All policies issued by their parent company, Mass Mutual, more than 160-year-old unsure. It's uh, online. It's very quick. You know you need life insurance. Go get it now. StackyBenjamins.com slash Haven Life. All right. Uh, today, we're going to throw out the lifeline to our good friend, Martin. Hey, Martin. Hello, Doug. Joe at OG. I'm new to the personal finance world, and I discovered that my Educator 403B with uh, Corbridge has a weighted expense charge of 1.62. I contribute $1,000 per month, have an account balance of 200000 with a 70-30 stock bond mix. I'm 53, earn around 170000 
will work for at least six years and receive a net pension of 94000 annually. My wife will continue to work while I retire and have an income of thirty-six annually. Once she retires, she'll receive a pension of 12000 annually. We spend about 100000 per year, which will go down once the two college-age kids have left the nest. Again, because we're new, we have two Roth IRAs with Vanguard, total 37000 We have a new brokerage account, $6,000. We contribute 750 per month. We max out the Roth IRA. So my one question is, what should I do about the outrageous fee-heavy 403B? Stop contributing and move the $1,000 to the brokerage account, or is there another recommendation? Of course, when I retire, I will roll it over to an IRA, work part-time. So thanks for your help. My shirt size is medium. Love the show. <laughs> thanks, Bart. We're definitely going to send you one your way, but uh, you don't need to brag about being a medium because shmedium. we send you a He code. sounds like a schmedium type of guy. A schmedium. <laughs> He likes the tight medium. Oh, yeah. Who so doesn't? show off the guns. Yeah, it's gun show. Martin, congratulations, by the way, on uh, digging into your personal finance picture, too. And, uh, man, those pensions, OG, if you can get them, that's a nice amount of cash flow coming in. And, by the way, the two college-age kids, that's where my hair all went, Martin, was going through that. So I can I can hear the finish line coming in your voice. But uh, that is a fairly hefty fee, OG, 1.7-ish. What's he do about that? I'm thinking of a couple of things. Number one, most 403B providers or most companies that are places that have 403Bs have multiple options with the 403B. Oh, that's now, not good. Not all, yeah. but a lot of times there's like three, four, five different choices. Uh, companies, school districts in particular have started to pare those down because you can imagine from an accounting standpoint, it's just a nightmare to keep track of them all. But you might inquire to see if there's other options. Maybe the one that you've seen access to is just the most popular salesperson who's around you know, handing out the free donuts and coffee every morning to get people to sign up, which signing up for a 403B is a good idea. But check with your HR department to see if there's other choices. Obviously, there's some advocacy there. Since you're picking up this torch of financial independence and you're starting to recognize this, it doesn't hurt to talk to the HR people and go, whoa, whoa, what's going on here? Like, this is, this is crazy. There are countless people in your community who would love the opportunity to sit in front of the school board and go, ours is better and it's cheaper, and it's easier to manage, and it's better, and whatever. If you open that up for some competition from a bidding standpoint or make it known to the the 403B salespeople around that you're open for business and competition, you'll be surprised at how fast those prices will go down on the existing one you have. Right. Plus, you could just find a better one. You know, I mean, we've done it. I've seen it happen where clients have brought us in to basically pitch a new deal so that the existing person goes, Wait, what? No, 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 We can hey, match that. it's weird how these... Hey, look, imagine, uh, just as a matter of fact, we were about to show up with this new proposal. Oh, look, it's a better deal for you. Timing is weird. Very weird. So if that, none of those things, you know, that doesn't answer your question of what do you do with your thousand bucks today? Listen, you're putting the money in pre-tax, I assume, in the 403B. Most 403Bs are going to be pre-tax, which means you're getting a tax break on every dollar that goes in. You put a thousand dollars a month in, getting $12,000 pre-tax, which, you know, could be as much as 1500 bucks or... $2,500 in tax savings every year. I don't think you want to forego that and the simplicity of having it come out of your paycheck for a higher expense. You know, the trade-off I don't think is there. Tax savings is better than paying a high fee. Would it be great if you could get a low fee? 100%. But to me, 
I don't know that I want to martyr myself of, I'll show you, I just won't save for retirement. Not that you're saying you'll do that because you said you put it in your brokerage account instead. But I do like the idea of making sure that there's some tax deferred money there and you get a tax break while it grows, which is going to help you in terms of the growth opportunities and and how much the money is going to grow over the next uh, 10, 15, 20 years, I guess, 23 years before you have to take the money out. So I think it's a two-prong approach. I think you try to advocate for yourself and for your fellow employees and say, this is horse manure and we need to, uh, we need to get this squared away while also contributing the money. That's my two cents on the matter. I have nothing to add. Uh, Yeah. Clearly uh, looking for different options or helping the company bring in different options is great. And I also think that's your number one place to save period. Full stop. You know what? OG, he may have had more money if he didn't have those high fees, but the fact that he had an easy way to save is why he's got the 200,000 sitting in there. Yeah. That's why let's not let perfect be the enemy of good and uh, forward progress. Cause you're right. The second that you say you're going to start writing a check every month, just yeah, historically stuff comes up. I mean, it's, it's no different than, you know, you look at other areas that are adjacent to money, you know, health, for example, when you dive into all of that stuff around health and calories and protein, and it's like, well, yeah, it's probably better if you don't eat Twinkies and you eat a salad instead. But at the end of the day, it's the fact that you're out there exercising and like, you, you know, you're just doing the thing that's going to have a much bigger impact than trying to exactly time your carbs exactly right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's how I think about it with the the fee stuff is important. And I don't want to like diminish that and say, well, you can just pay whatever because that's not true. But it's the, it is the icing on the cake, right? It's save the money, make sure it's allocated correctly, big picture stuff, and then try to find, you know, a good value for, for the service. Which is where I think the second you bring competition in, if you can find a way to bring competition into that, that thing that you mentioned is going to happen immediately. It's going to be immediate. Those people are going to start to dance around those fees the second you bring it up. Yeah. Because you're not the first one, Martin. Yeah, probably not. But, um, you know, it's, it's such a weird thing, especially in schools, because it's always, it's kind of, for lack of a better term, it's a good old boys network still over there. There it's, it's a very opaque industry and there's a lot of great providers and there's a lot of great people who care about educators and make sure they do the right thing. But it's also a great opportunity to be a, a little slimy, a great opportunity to obfuscate all of the stuff that goes on behind the scenes because, you know, like, Oh, we'll just put $50 a month in and who cares, you know? Um, but it does matter. So if you can lead the charge on the advocacy for your compadres, I think, um, I think you'll find some pretty good resolution in a hurry. And as uh, Martin insinuated, we're sending him a, a Stacky Benjamin's Haven Life shirt for being brave and calling in, sharing some uh, personal stuff so we can all learn from his situation. If you've got a question for us, stackybenjamins.com slash voicemail, and we will do the same for you. Stackybenjamins.com slash voicemail. All right. Time for the last segment of this show that we call The Back Porch. Going to begin with a community calendar since Doug went upstairs to get a drink. Uh, I think on Monday, Doug mentioned our Instagram live time has changed for Thursday. And I believe it's a little different than what we even said on Monday. Kitty Kremitzo is joining us. She leads the Women's Meditation Network. If you've heard the show for any length of time, you've heard me talk about how much I like the fact that Kitty helps people relax and be more mindful when it comes to money so they don't lose $130,000 in a single trade. OG. Oh, Maybe meditate first. Yeah, please don't. Maybe calm, calm it down a little bit. 
Meditation has helped so many people. And uh, Katie is going to join me and teach us how to be a little more mindful. That is going to be Thursday, 1230 Eastern. I do believe that is a different time than what we have before. 1230 Eastern, 1130 Central. Uh, what is that? 1030 Mountain, 930 Pacific, if I know my time zones. So that is Thursday on Instagram. You can find all the places uh, where we chat with people, our YouTube channel, which has always some great clips and lessons, which is just go to youtube.com slash Stacking Benjamins. You know, the best place to go, our welcome guide shows you all the different channels we're on. StackingBenjamins.com slash welcome gets you to that. Uh, that's that. OG entertainment-wise, Cheryl and I have started watching a documentary that I find fascinating. You know, she's she she and I both were in love with Ted Lasso. Did you watch Ted Lasso? Watched one episode. Didn't really care. Ah, fantastic show. Loved it. Watched the whole thing like a lot of America, a lot of the world. But <laughs> now we're watching- Like everyone except OG. Well, no. I mean, I've met other people that just didn't get into it. But, uh, you know, that was me in Breaking Bad. I watched the first two episodes and everybody told me, like, you got to watch like the first four and then you're hooked. I would say the same thing about Ted, but welcome to Wrexham, which is the true story about Rob and Ryan buying the Ryan Reynolds. Uh, yep. Yep. Buying the team and their story of trying to bring this team from four, four, uh, leagues under the premier league and trying to get things moving. We're, we're three episodes in four episodes in it's really good. If you like sports and you like kind of sports management documentaries shows and about how they make it, it's pretty, I, we're really enjoying it. It's on Hulu. I think I would qualify it though, that you gotta, you gotta be into sports management stuff. I came across this uh, video, so we don't actually need to see the video. We can just listen to the audio. Showed up in my feed a little bit ago. You an investor looking for long-term capital appreciation, but worried about the short-term volatility associated with innovative companies? Well, you're not alone. Many investors appear to be afraid of companies that offer newer, faster, cheaper, and creative products and services. Now you can avoid these innovative companies. How? Ask your advisor today if investing in a traditional broad-based index is right for you. A broad-based index provides investors with a feeling of safety and comfort, knowing that they hold past success. Often based on tangible assets like a bank branch, railroad, or real estate, indices should generate predictable cash flows because, hey, that's historically been the case. And things never change. Side effects may include, but are not limited to, owning companies associated with the traditional world order. Investors holding stocks associated with traditional transportation, banking, bricks and mortar retail, and linear TV may experience headache, nausea, and increased blood pressure due to the accelerating threat of disruptive innovation. Your investment portfolio doesn't need to be bothered by a changing world. This parody was brought to you by ARK Invest. To learn more, download Bad Ideas at arkinvest.com slash ideas. Wow, really? So did you pick up what this was all about? Yes. Well, what's funny is when they said ARK Invest at the end, so at first I'm like, oh, uh, okay, this is a parody. And then I went, no, wait a minute, it's not a parody. Index funds in, in, in a traditional world and you can actually get it. Then I'm like, okay, well, this makes sense to me. Like that is some safe stuff to invest in. And then when she says ARK Invest at the end, I'm like, damn. This is an ad that ARK put out about how silly it is to invest, invest in the status in, quo in, in traditional broad-based diversified portfolios. And instead, you know, like, are you, are you scared of innovation and you just want the status quo? Well, talk to your advisor about getting a broad-based boring index fund. Here's the funny part. Which is funny because I think it's a good, I think it's a good advertisement for the broad-based index fund. Well, it certainly is when you go and say, well, this was posted on October the 14th of 2020. Oh. And 
And let's see how Kathy's done since then. Since then, your S&P, your crappy S&P fund that invests in dumb things like tangible assets and real estate with predictable cash flows uh, is up 25 and a half percent. Yeah, sucks. And your, uh, you know, new technologies fund is down 62 percent, 62 percent. You lost more than half your money. You lost two thirds of your money. 62 percent since the video, this video came out. Just let that sit there for a second. Okay, I let it sit there. <laughs> and I still like the broad-based index fund. <laughs> yes. Even not knowing the future. Oh, man. Because you know what? The broad-based index fund has the new stuff in it. It does. Weird. Yeah. I don't know how that works. It's just not all that stuff. And I'm sure in three years from now or five years from now, somebody will pull this out and go, see, I told you. Told you. There yeah, it is. But, uh, but the volatility is something else. I think it's a good place to leave it. Uh, last thing on my list is if uh, you're somebody hoping to make better decisions and maybe maybe in, in, invest in stuff that actually makes sense, OG and his team are taking clients. If you need a better plan, not talking product, but talking process, you need a better process to get you from point A to your goals, head to stackybedjamins.com slash OG. That's the link to their calendar to uh, set up a first meeting so that you can make better decisions in the future. Stackybedjamins.com slash OG. All right. That's going to do it for today. Uh, Doug, I think you got it from here, man. What should we have learned today? Well, Joe, first, take some advice from Ron Shake and build your business around a life you're proud of so you can leave a positive impact on the world. Second, take away from our headline, don't make panic trades. And whenever you have to make a move quickly with your money, measure twice before cutting so you don't lose over $100,000. Ouch. But the big lesson? Anything can be a sandwich if you put it between two slices of bread. Anything. Thanks to Ron Shake for joining us today. You can find his book, Know What Matters, wherever books are sold. We'll also include links in our show notes at stackingbenjamins.com. This show is the property of SB Podcasts, LLC, copyright 2023, and is created by Joe Salcihai. Our producer is Karen Repine. This show was written by Lisa Curry, who's also the host of the Long Story Long podcast, with help from me, Joe, and Doc G from the Earn and Invest podcast. Kevin Bailey helps us take a deeper dive into all the topics covered on each episode in our newsletter called The 201. You'll find the 411 on all things money at The 201. Just visit stackingbenjamins.com slash 201. Wonder how beautiful we all are? Of course, you'll never know if you don't check out our YouTube version of this show, engineered by Tina Eichenberg. Then you'll see once and for all that I'm the best thing going for this podcast. Once we bottle up all this goodness, we ship it to our engineer, the amazing Steve Stewart. Steve helps the rest of our team sound nearly as good as I do right now. Want to chat with friends about the show later? Mom's friend Gertrude and Kate Youngkin are our social media coordinators, and Gertrude is the room mother in our Facebook group called The Basement. Say hello when you see us posting online. To join all the basement fun with other stackers, type stackingbenjamins.com basement. Not only should you not take advice from these nerds, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any financial decisions, speak with a real financial advisor. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and we'll see you next time back here at the Stacking Benjamin Show.
It's called the medium sketch. The medium sketch? Yeah, it wasn't rare, and it certainly wasn't well done. (laughs) Well, Stackers, the show is over, but the party is just beginning here. You know why? Because it's Military Appreciation Month, and we are giving out shout-outs to all of our friends who have served in the military. And let's point uh, the finger right here at our good friend OG, who spent time in the military. Of course, we know what a giver he is, even when he pretends like he's being uh, Mr. Surly. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members to help them reach their goals. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate, and you'll see all their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. They've got all kinds of resources on their site, like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and best careers for military spouses to support military families. So much going on. Just head over to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate and take a look at all the Military Appreciation Month offers and their usual offers. Navy Federal, our members are the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.